1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Pearl Jam goes and releases all 72 shows on CD. How on earth am I going to collect 72? I had to resort to illegitimate means. I had a
2: shoplifting period. A New Zealand teenager obsessed with Pearl Jam goes to extraordinary lengths to consume and collect everything the band has ever released. We call it the Pearl Jam Couch Tour. So for those
0: two years, we had the good sound system and we just put Pearl Jam shows from YouTube. There were hundreds of Pearl Jam shows
1: to watch. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sonic Impact. To Season 2, our first episode of the new year, I am joined with my co-host and my father, Elliot. Hi, Dad.
2: Hey, Olivia. Great to see you, and great to have all of you back in 2023.
1: It sure is. We had quite a year, our first and only year of this podcast, but it was a big one for us, and I think it ended on just the most perfect high note possible. So before we get into our episode, which is about Pearl Jam today, I have to talk about this unbelievable thing that happened to us at the end of last year. So, our last episode was Kiss, and our guest Paul was kind enough to send the episode to his sonic impact, Paul Stanley, the lead singer of the band Kiss. So, we posted the episode a couple days before the new year, and we noticed that we had more downloads than usual within just like a day or two. And we were like, this is great, we're getting a following, cool, but we weren't really sure why. So, We're just hanging out around the house New Year's Eve, and my dad is like, Olivia, holy shit, and he's like, Paul Stanley retweeted us, and I was like, what? That was pretty much exactly how it went down.
2: It was awesome because he had not only just retweeted the episode, he retweeted like, cool listen and how great it was, so that was amazing, and then the episode just shot up, and literally it's our highest rated episode, and it just keeps getting downloaded, so- Thank you, Paul Stanley. Thank you, Paul Merkovich. And if you haven't listened to the episode, go back because it's pretty epic. But today is our new year and our first new episode of the new year, which is Pearl Jam. But before we get into today's episode, I wanted to talk about a few of the key artists we've lost in the last few weeks. I think it's so important to take a moment and talk about the sonic impact of these artists on our lives. And we had three really influential, important artists, Christine McVie, David Crosby, and Jeff Beck. And all of them in different ways help shape the sound of rock and roll and the history of popular music. Just to break it down quickly, Christine McVie was such an underrated songwriter, singer, and a huge part of that band's sound and wrote or co-wrote some of Fleetwood Mac's biggest hits. My personal favorite of Christine McVie has always been Songbird, That song, every time I hear it, hits me like a ton of bricks, and I think when I first heard Rumors many, many years ago, that was not the song that stood out, but over the years that song has really grown in stature for me. Something about the recording of that song, the sparseness, and just the beautiful melodies.
1: like all of us i was so sad to find out about christine and it was really interesting timing actually because i took my first ever voice lessons this past semester and i was actually singing songbird as one of my songs that i was working on throughout the semester so i was very much thinking about that song when i got the news but it's so devastating And my dad took me to see Fleetwood Mac when I was probably 16 or 17 at the Forum. And I still remember having a sense of how important that concert was and how special it was that I got to see that band in concert. So I just feel really lucky that I was able to see her before she passed. Rest in peace, Christine McVie.
2: Absolutely, Olivia. That's one of the things about going to these concerts of these legacy bands, because you don't know how long they're going to be around many of these members. Christine had just come back joined the band for that tour. So thank God we got to see and hear Christine, Stevie, and Mick and John still intact. Also, Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck, for those who don't know, was in the Yardbirds, the Jeff Beck group, and played with so many different artists. Recently, he was playing with Johnny Depp, of all people. But he really formed the sound with Rod Stewart back in the 60s. For those who don't really know Jeff Beck's work or aren't guitar players, he really was one of the most influential guitarists in rock history. He influenced everyone, including Eddie Van Halen, I'm sure Jimi Hendrix. He just made the guitar come alive. He made it sound like no one else, and he really was impossible to imitate. So even though this isn't a Jeff Beck song, the sound of his guitar and his unique style really come through on Rod Stewart's People Get Ready. I think most guitar experts put Jeff Beck in the top 10 guitarist of all time. And lastly, David Crosby. Now, David, we know, lasted a lot longer than probably many thought. He had major drug abuse and health issues through the years. I really enjoyed the documentary that came out on him a couple of years ago, if you get a chance to see it. But I've been going back and listening to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And I think there's no question that those two groups were among the greatest of all time. The three-part harmony that Crosby, Stills, and Nash created was right up there with the Beach Boys, the Bee Gees, and Simon and Garfunkel. They captured the 60s in a way that few other bands did. There are so many Crosby, Stills, and Nash songs that I love. But I think for me, Helplessly Hoping is the one that captures their harmony and their blend like no other song. Did he hear a goodbye or even hello, oh, they are one person, they are two alone, they are three together, they are four. So may they rest in peace, Jeff Beck, Christy McVie, and David Crosby. So let's move on to today's episode, which is Pearl Jam and our first international guest, C.R. Warnay. But like we do with every artist, Olivia, you did a deep dive on Pearl Jam. What'd you find out?
1: I found out a lot of cool stuff. So Pearl Jam were formed in Seattle in 1990. Out of a band called Mother Love Bone after their lead singer passed away from an overdose. And he was replaced with the iconic Eddie Vedder. So in 1990, Nirvana was the band that really paved the way for a lot of these Seattle grunge bands that started becoming really popular and almost mainstream. And Nirvana also paved the way for Pearl Jam, who soon surpassed them in popularity and record sales. Pearl Jam was not your typical band. They had things to say, and they were not afraid to say those things. They refused to conform to a lot of music industry conventions, such as when they were really popular, they chose to play at smaller venues on tour for a more intimate concert setting. They were also really outspoken about guaranteeing fair ticket prices for their fans, so they actually took Ticketmaster to court for their unfair ticket prices, and I believe they won. They were also very socially active and very expressive about social issues, such as abortion access and gun violence, and really just through their music, talked about these issues along with exploring the deep complexities of life and the human existence, a very deep and prophetic band, which will become very clear throughout the course of this story, which starts around 1996 after Pearl Jam had had three albums released that were very, very successful. In 1996, they released their fourth album called No Code, which reached number one initially, but disappointed many fans because it had an unusual sound. It was different than what they had been releasing prior. But this fourth album, No Code, was the jumping off point for our guest CR, who went on to have a life of devotion and obsession to the band Pearl Jam in a really beautiful way. Overall, Pearl Jam was an unbelievably influential band. They were deemed the most popular American rock and roll band of the 90s. They were also inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017, which was the first year that they were eligible.
2: That's right, and they also sold over 100 million albums worldwide and 30 million in the U.S., so our guest today is CR Warnay, he's from New Zealand. I didn't know a lot about CR till he reached out to me as you'll find out. He is an obsessive fan of Pearl Jam obviously. Also he has a podcast called 240 gigabytes of Neil Finn focusing exclusively on Crowded House and Neil Finn. It's a really fun podcast if you take a listen. What's also important to know about CR's journey is he ended up working in criminal rehabilitation and as you'll see from our story Pearl Jam was a major influence on CR's life and led him to this path of helping counsel former criminals. So this is Pearl Jam Sonic Impact on CR Warnay. Hello, Chris. I'm so happy that you're joining us from New Zealand, and I'm just thrilled to have someone from across the other side of the world joining us.
0: It's really nice actually having a connection with somebody across the Pacific. You know, we touch base through music and then- Here we are on a call together. It's awesome.
2: I wanted to just quickly say how we met. Why don't you tell the
0: story of how we met? Yeah, sure. So I make a Neil Finn podcast called 240 gigabytes of neil finn and at the end of each of those episodes i try and feature a cover song and i came across elliot's version of how will you go and i loved it so i reached out to elliot to see if i could steal his cover
2: and then we just started talking from there really And what was amazing what you did, Chris, is after you listened to my Neil Finn episode, you tracked down the recording of when I discovered Crowded House in Madison, Wisconsin in 1987. And you contacted me and you said, I think I found it. And you sent me the whole thing. And it was just absolutely mind-blowing to be able to transport back to that moment. And so I really wanted to thank you for mind-melding on all things Crowded House and Neil Finn and that recording was just incredible. Oh, you're so welcome. I was
0: pretty excited after I listened to your Neil Finn episode. You talked about that first time you saw Crowded House playing eighty seven and I was like, I think I have the show. That was a real joy to be able to share and that you hadn't heard that recording before was
2: it's amazing. So it's a great jumping off point because I have to say you're a podcaster who literally is obsessive about one band, in this case, Crowded House, and every episode is literally about Crowded House. And your artist isn't Crowded House, it's Pearl Jam. So what year are you when you discover Pearl Jam, that kind of music? So I would have been 11 in 1997.
0: So the Yield record had just come out and I went up to the, uh, the local stationery shop. That's where I used to buy CDs as a kid. But I brought my first CD and it sort of blew the doors wide open for me in terms of bringing together a lot of the different genres that I liked. A lot of classic rock from my dad's collection, Springsteen, U2. But I was also listening to a lot of punk rock, like The Clash and Pearl Jam sort of brought these two worlds together for me. In terms of their sound, they really made sense to my ears.
2: I was really there at the beginning of Pearl Jam in in 90, I think is when their first album came out. And it was this sort of post-80s hard rock thing with this punk sensibility. Obviously, grunge was this new genre of music, but it really did combine those different genres in, in a way that I think spoke to teenagers especially. They
0: have that sort of band dynamics of Led Zeppelin, but they also have the singer-songwriter sensibilities, and then they have the just straight-ahead punk rock of the Ramones. So their sound is always sort of shifting between one of those influences.
2: So Chris, let's start with your upbringing. You went through a divorce, and there was the angst that every child who goes through divorce, but you really said that Pearl Jam spoke to you in ways that helped you through the divorce and made you sort of who you were coming out of that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. They certainly helped me processing the family situation, but also gave me some of the early tools to manage my own emotions and be like functioning, healthy person. You know, a big song for me was one called present tense. And this was the earliest mention in my life that I came across of mindfulness of trying to find an approach to life to help you live in the moment and not get stuck in unhelpful thought loops and so present tense the lyrics are you can spend your time alone re-digesting past regrets or you can come to terms and realize you're the only one that can forgive yourself it makes much more sense to live in the present tense
2: you Spend your time alone Redigesting past regrets Oh, Oh, you can come to terms And realize you're the only one Who can forgive yourself Oh, makes much more sense
0: So this was like a light bulb moment for me. It gave me the tools to start processing my shit. Is that a clinical term, processing your shit? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And I think as a sensitive kid who is often quite stuck in my emotions and like there was a lot of dysfunction in my household. And I think that did lead to sort of mental health issues later in my life. But Pearl Jam was so important for me because they're looking at social dysfunction right you look at a song like why go it's about a kid with mental health issues being diagnosed and put in a facility but the root cause of that is in the family so Pearl Jam gave me a lot of I guess some of the words to describe maybe some of what was happening and how I was feeling as a young teenager it also sort of gave the message that ah, this this happens, you know, you're not the only one. Ah, it's finally being spoken about because it wasn't being spoken about in my household at
2: that time. You mentioned to me that your parents were very conservative and that Pearl Jam spoke to you politically, socially, that no one else really was in your upbringing.
0: Yeah. So growing up in a more sort of conservative leaning family, there's less emphasis or understanding of difference and subculture and sort of experimenting, like maybe a little less tolerant. My mom was also, she still holds really strong Christian beliefs. So I was sort of raised in that too and struggling with that because that has a lot of messages around identity and morality.
2: I was rebelling (laughs) against all of those things. So is Eddie Vedder the reason that you sort of rebelled against your parents' political beliefs?
0: Yeah, certainly the building blocks for thinking about the world from a political lens would have come from Eddie Vedder. He's a humanist, (laughs) right? So, you know, right back in 1991... Got pro choice written across his arms. You know, so I can remember so many moments in the live shows and in the music were sort of launch pads into political issues. And he's always looking out for the benefit of people, whether it's women, fans getting fair ticket prices. He makes quite passionate sort of comments and speeches on trans rights. Like he's always on the right side of history. I would say the theme that runs through. A lot of his perspective is about people being able to be themselves and celebrate themselves and not hurt others in the process. And that's a powerful thing.
2: A lot of people who love music, it often is the music, the melody. For you, it really seems to have been the lyrics that affected you emotionally. Talk about the lyrics of Eddie Vedder and how that just really hit you at that age? A lot of people stopped listening
0: to Pearl Jam in 95, but the real gold of Pearl Jam for me, lyrically, came from their fourth album onwards. So the album No Code, still probably my favorite album of all time. No Code was when Eddie started processing his anger, processing pain and wanting to be a happier human (laughs) and wanting to explore some bigger questions about life and morality, and mortality. So these were like the big questions for me as well, particularly as well coming from growing up with Christian beliefs, literally believing in hell. And a big theme that comes through in a lot of his music is don't put your energy into the afterlife. Put your energy into the present and your relationships and making this world better and doing good things on this planet rather than putting all of your focus on the next life or an afterlife when they're talking about the big questions like life and death and like abuse and happiness people really put their trauma onto a lot of Pearl Jam I think so it's not uncommon at Pearl Jam shows that people are having these visceral
2: personal emotional reactions and it's huge So basically, the discovery of Pearl Jam at that key moment in your young life, both from a divorce standpoint of your parents and your own Mm -hmm. mental health sort of issues coming to the forefront. Someone was speaking to you. Eddie Vedder was speaking to you. Yeah, he was. I I can remember as a teenager
0: making this pact to myself. I'm not going to be an angry person. So Pearl Jam was important for me because... Pearl Jam's an angry band, (laughs) don't get me wrong, like they're angsty and at times they're aggressive, but the anger is never arbitrary. It's really focused anger. You know, you can look at songs like Jeremy, like anger towards gun violence, you know, not for you, anger towards culture being commodified. Um, Songs like Help Help, anger at political discourse, painting foreigners as an enemy. So, I think in the sort of evolution of Pearl Jam, it goes from this personal experience of I'm angry at the world to anger towards like social systems and hypocrisy.
2: So it helped me channel anger. I wanted to jump to the next moment. You become obsessed with Pearl Jam in a way that most people don't become obsessed with bands this impact of you discovering them was really explosive. So tell us sort of those obsessive moments that happened sort of in your childhood.
0: So a big part of the obsession as a young person was the live show. So I've always enjoyed collecting. And so I had a thing about, you know, I want to be able to own each album. I'll be looking through like Secondhand record stores trying to find the singles to find the B-sides and like complete the collection so uh in 2000 Pearl Jam goes and releases all 72 shows of their binaural tour on CD this is a head trip for 14 year old Chris because it's like how on earth am I going to collect 72 CDs <laughs> so I got a part-time job so it funded some of them but I had to resort to illegitimate means. So I had a shoplifting period. <laughs> we had a borders. And so all the CDs would be in these like bulky plastic security tag coverings. But I found I could sort of pop the case and be able to slide out the thin digi packs. And through my spree, I accumulated about 35 of the 72. <laughs>
2: So you got all 72 either by stealing them or by paying for them.
0: That's right. I would say I was probably about um, 18, 19 before I got them all. But I would say in that first year or so, I got about 50 of them through uh, legitimate and illegitimate means.
2: <laughs> Obviously, the live aspect of this band was not like most bands, right? Explain why the Pearl Jam live experience is so unique. Great question. You're totally right, because it wasn't just
0: about owning these CDs. It was about experiencing these live shows. And Pearl Jam is unique. You know, they've got a deep catalogue they can pull from. And I would say they could play about 95% of their catalogue at any time. So from the B-sides, to album tracks, to covers. That gives them the ability to really personalise every single show. So he writes the set about an hour before the band goes on and it's a hectic time for the road crew as well the guitar techs the lighting because eddie writes the set list you know 20 to 35 songs sometimes and then distributes it to the band and to the crew so the crew's having to make sure they got the right guitars the right tunings because they've got an hour till the show starts but eddie puts a lot of thought Into these sets, and he curates a show experience that speaks to the city that they're in or speaks to the experiences and emotions that he's feeling. I'll compare them to being somewhere between Bruce Springsteen and The Grateful Dead. So sometimes a certain song might jam out for several minutes and it's different every single time. So as a kid, that was extremely exciting to me because I wanted every piece of the Eddie Vedder goodness. I wanted those speeches. I wanted the laughs. I wanted the improvisations. I feel like I've been on this quest since the little kid to find like my favorite live performance of every song. <laughs> and it's a unique experience that is never phoned in because it's curated to the show that they're playing there and then.
2: That's very unusual to Pearl Jam. Most Fans, as you know, plan their set list very carefully every night with the lighting cues and the, the video, and Pearl Jam is in a whole other realm. And so that's so cool that you went on such a deep dive to get all 72 albums. All right, so Chris, let's talk about the next phase of Pearl Jam. Was there another big, like, the stealing of 35 CDs <laughs> or another thing that led you sort of over the edge of your Pearl Jam obsession?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I've always been pretty over the edge on The Obsession. It's never waned through my whole life. I would say I've followed every scrap of information and music and live music that's been available. But I would say, actually, shout out to my dad here, because he took me to my first Pearl Jam show when I was 15. So that was amazing getting to experience that with him. I think dad gave it about a 7 out of 10. I was a full 10 out of 10. So seeing live shows in person became really important. They don't tour down here very often, only twice in like the last 25 years.
2: Wow, Uh, that's incredible. I didn't realize they didn't go down to New Zealand much. How many times have you seen them? So after this year, I've seen them 15 times. So between the sort of first discovery of Pearl Jam, going with your dad to the concert, and later in your life, which we'll talk about, were there any other big Pearl Jam moments for you that really changed your life?
0: Yeah, there was. So my partner, Chantel, we got together just a little over four years ago. And she always had music in her life, but she's never like had music like I've had music in my life. So we were together about a year. And then one day, Pearl Jam started to click for her. So having a partner and watching her go over the edge, as you put it, into Pearl Jam, has actually been a really profound and personal experience. Um, Being able to almost be her Sherpa through like different landscapes of Pearl Jam. Oh, you like this song? Check this out. You like that song? Got nothing on these seven live versions.
2: (laughs) Um, I love that. You're a Sherpa of Pearl Jam
0: for your partner. That's hilarious. It's been wonderful and being able to have like a constant source of actually what what do you make of this song? How do you interpret that? What do you take out of this record? And the pandemic was an important time for us to do a lot of that. We had a lot of time on our hands. So we had a lot of time just listening to live Pearl Jam. So like since 2000, when they put out those 72 basically every single show is available and online. So that really connected us being able to explore Pearl Jam on that level. And I think is like a hang up from my childhood. I've always been quite embarrassed about my level of passion for certain things. And so having a partner that is so accepting and open and equally into Pearl Jam, it was just like opening the floodgates and it really brought us close together there's a template for healthy relationships in Pearl Jam's music too. So I'm always keenly listening out for that, how Eddie actually approaches and values his kids and his partner. The song that really did it for us is a song called Sirens. And that's a song about, you know, it's got the mortality theme as well of like, your relationship will end, you know, we do die. You know, we've got this like, stable, beautiful relationship, but it's so fragile in the scheme of life. I think it really helped us to not take our relationship for granted and it really embodies a lot of how we
2: approach each other. What I love about this story really is a life impact that Pearl Jam has had on you. It's from your childhood, the teenage years of forming your political beliefs and your social beliefs and helping you get through divorce and then your obsession with live music and your love life. It's really a profound impact that Pearl Jam has had on your life. And I think that's where it comes to the pinnacle recently. Tell us about the tour that you followed Pearl Jam on during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, awesome. So this was like peak life moment. And we didn't get to take our daughter along, couldn't quite afford it. She's six and she's like a pretty gnarly Pearl Jam fan too. <laughs> like It's great. I love that a six-year-old is really into Pearl Jam with you. Yeah, she loves it. Side tangent, um, there's a Pearl Jam song called Mind Your Manners. We're watching some kid's show and the teacher tells this kid, Mind Your Manners. And like Indy looks at me, I look at her and she's like, "Ah!" and then we fist bump and like go back to the show. Like not a word spoken, but like, yeah, we're on the same page. So that's lovely. Um, But the tour. So we were originally supposed to go on this Pearl Jam trip. But just before the shutdown happened, Pearl Jam postponed the tour. And that was our signal like, well, shit, if Pearl Jam thinks it's unsafe, (laughs) it's probably unsafe. And a week later, everything closed (laughs) for two straight years. So I was bitterly disappointed. I hadn't seen Pearl Jam in nearly 10 years. Chantal had never seen them before. But we had this like... We call it the Pearl Jam Couch Tour. So for those two years, we purchased a projector, we had the good sound system, and we just put Pearl Jam shows from YouTube. Like most nights, there were hundreds of Pearl Jam shows to watch.
2: I know what you did during the pandemic. It was Pearl Jam all the time. It was Pearl Jam every day. That's uh, no exaggeration. And then um, the world
0: started opening up. We pulled all our money and put it into this Europe trip. And if something goes horribly wrong we don't actually have money to get home. Like It was a pretty ballsy move. (laughs) Especially during a pandemic. Yeah, but it, it just had to be done. So we got to Europe. It was a heat wave. And we ended up seeing seven shows. But the thing that really sort of stood out was the connections we made with other people doing the same thing from all over the world, waiting in this blistering heat, each with their own obsessive Pearl Jam connection, meeting just groups of people day to day that had the same intense passion and really lovely, lovely people. Like having the Pearl Jam connection in common was just a launch pad to talk about
2: any aspect of life. It was unreal. So tell us where you saw them and then was every show literally completely different? It was. So we did
0: Berlin, Frankfurt, Copenhagen, two London shows, Budapest, Krakow and was supposed to do Vienna and Prague but they got cancelled Eddie damaged his voice because the world is burning and he swallowed some ash in Paris on stage (laughs) so he literally fried his vocal cords but every show had these incredible personal moments you know Eddie went on like a musical tangent about the Wade versus Rose situation that got overturned literally during a Pearl Jam show. And Krakow was particularly poignant. It's the closest city to Ukraine. And Eddie, he had taken the time to go and find the names of local people and read out the achievements of the humanitarian effort of housing and connecting displaced families. And he just gave so much gratitude and appreciation the song choices sort of fed into that it had a very like hopeful but sort of heavy feel to that show in Berlin they had a a guy named Roland and he has a terminal illness and he was in a wheelchair and he had somehow gotten a message saying I want to see you play this song in Berlin when Eddie got to the show he had found out that Roland had been in this, massive battle with the venue because it's not wheelchair accessible. This is in Voldbuna, this like intense Nazi-built stadium that's super steep and kind of has these like Colosseum sort of vibe. Um, So Eddie sort of spoke to that and Roland was on stage during that performance. There were just heaps of special moments. How old are you when you go on this tour?
2: I am 35. 35. So, you know, people think of sort of like your twenties as the years when you're following bands, but with you, it sort of makes sense. There is a obsessive passion, whatever you want to call it. That's a rare quality. I think most people don't go so deep on one artist.
0: Whether it's Pearl Jam, Neil Finn and beyond has always been my deepest way of relating to the world. So music is kind of my spirituality, so to speak. It's my sense of connection, both personal spirituality, but also the communities and the people that you connect with. One of the things I really like in my Neil Finn podcast is I get to have a look at lyrics and give my interpretation because I find this stuff so stimulating that some of my most interesting and creative
2: thoughts come through music. And what's interesting is it sounds like Pearl Jam's your number one, and Neil Finn and Crowded House is your number two. And Eddie and Neil are close. They've played on albums there, they've sang live. So talk about that connection. So
0: Eddie Vedder was always a big fan of Split Ends, which is Neil Finn's first band. And the transition from early Pearl Jam is this, like, you know, more sort of Led Zeppelin sounding rock band, transitioning into like a singer-songwriter band. Eddie sort of names Crowded House as like the main sort of influence, like listening to Neil Finn and sort of saying, oh, wow, I want to be a songwriter, not just a frontman."
2: That's incredible. Yeah. Mashup of your two favorite artists is great. Neil made a
0: comment recently that he'll often get calls from Eddie Vedder in the middle of the night here where Eddie has been like up late listening to old Crowded House bootleg. Probably getting a little bit drunk, getting excited, and then making a spontaneous call to Neil, just waking him from his slumber. So I love that image of Eddie Vedder at home, enjoying the exact same thing that I do in probably
2: a very similar way. So we've talked about... The impact of Pearl Jam on your musical life, your personal life, your family life, your love life from a touring perspective, but it's also impacted your career and you work with criminals helping rehabilitate them. Tell me how Pearl Jam led you to that pathway and also how you use their music to help people.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. They certainly put me on the pathway. You know, when I went to study sociology and then postgraduate and criminology, this interest in like social justice issues. And I think the link to Pearl Jam, they're interested in the, the well-being of people and what makes people tick. So I think I've always been comfortable around people in pain. It's people who don't have the skills and the language to understand or articulate their experiences, and it bottles up and it comes out in really unhelpful ways. So I think my general temperament with people is very open and accepting and interested in their well-being. And then occasionally... Present tense will uh, come into some of our mindfulness. You know, even just those lyrics makes much more sense to live in the present tense as a way to understand, as it did for me as a, you know, 14-year-old. I think a lot of my temperament aligns with stuff that has come from a connection with Pearl Jam, the themes and the lyrics, and also just having acceptance and patience for people who are, in crisis and have experienced some awful stuff. And I, I just want the best of people. I want them to move forward and
2: achieve the things that they want. I think to wrap it up, the message in Pearl Jam's music has really infected and impacted who you've become in your life and your career. Yeah. I think you've summarized that beautifully. Well, thank you. That's what I try to do. Have you ever met any of the guys in the band? What was that experience? I've met Mike McCready, the guitar player, briefly
0: a couple of times, um, and he is a lovely individual. Like He gets the fan obsession because he is one himself. Out of all the members, he's the one that takes time to sign autographs and to have a chat. I was with friends at a show and there was a couple next to us that we had met and we were talking to Mike McCready through the gate and this other couple said that they hadn't managed to get tickets for the second night. And Mike McCready put them on the door he put them front row for free and just a really kind beautiful thing and
2: he uh signed my album cover and it's in a frame on the wall (laughs) that's a really cool gesture that i'm not sure every band would do all right so a couple of the final questions top five most impactful songs for you from pearl jam So number one, I think I
0: have to go with Present Tense because it's been that mantra for how I approach life. Number two is Sirens because it's just melodically one of the most beautiful, fragile love songs I've ever heard. Number three, I want to say Sleight of Hand. It speaks of themes of alienation and questioning whether you're fulfilling your life purpose i love marker in the sand again lyrically it's about sort of an exploration of faith and looking at the spread of religious ideology in an unhelpful way put your focus on this life not the next one last one there i'm gonna say rearview mirror i would say it's one of the best live songs in the whole catalog it's driving it's angry it has this incredibly huge chorus the best outro out of any song i've heard when i listen to that song it's
2: like plugging into an oxygen tank it's so energizing i'm gonna check out all these songs and everybody else should too it's it's great to hear this from someone who really knows the catalog so last question if you could speak to eddie vetter What would you say to him about what he meant to you over the course of your life? I would
0: say, thank you, (laughs) a massive thank you. And I would say that his presence of his music and the persona that he puts out there has just been a literal lifeline at times in my life, but just, it gives me energy and fuel and helpful ways of thinking and looking at the world. It's been a constant source of positivity and catharsis. And it's like, his music is like my third parent. (laughs) So I would say thank you because I owe big chunks of my more functional
2: aspects (laughs) to Eddie Vedder. So basically Eddie Vedder raised you is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, he did. He, he did. did. No discredit to mom and dad. They do a great job too. But uh, Eddie Vedder
2: definitely was was in there when I needed him as well. Chris, I wanted to thank you for coming all the way over from New Zealand to be on the show. <laughs> and uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you both about Crowded House these last few months and now Pearl Jam. And you're a an incredibly passionate, talented guy. Everybody should tune into Chris's podcast. 240 gigabytes of Neil Finn. It's a very cool podcast, especially for those who like Crowded House and really want to go deep on their catalog. It's fantastic. Chris, thanks for joining (laughs) us on Sonic Impact. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Elliot. This has been awesome. Well, first of all, I just love having our first international guest. And Pearl Jam is a band I've always liked, but I don't go that deep on. So really gave me an appreciation of Eddie Vedder and the band, way beyond the well-known hits. I love the story. Unlike some of our episodes that lead to a big climax, this really doesn't have that. But what it does have is how an artist can shape a person's life on every aspect.
1: His stories about listening to music to get through mental illness and difficult times really resonated with me, specifically thinking about when I was young. I remember being probably like 11 years old and listening to some song on my iPad and feeling like really sad about my parents not being together, but the song made me feel comfort and whatnot. I think there's no age that's too young for music to be able to speak to you on a really deep and personal level. And then obviously, as you get older, it just becomes more and more connected.
2: And then I love the story of how he steals 35 CDs and shoplifts, but it's so important to him to have every CD that was ever available. And that's the thing about obsessive music fans. You know, they don't just need some of the albums. They need literally every album, every format. And CR would break the law to get those CDs.
1: I love that story. I thought it was so funny and relatable because those of us who are obsessed with bands or artists totally understand what that's like. You just got to have everything. You got to prove to yourself that you love them the most And you do love them the most if that's what it feels like. And I relate to that a lot. Anytime Billie Eilish releases a new perfume or she released a candle that is scented as her perfume, I had to get it. just have to get it. How can I not? But I also really relate to it being expensive. And when you're young, maybe you can't afford $75 perfume. So I understand his illegal means. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But I never said that.
2: And you know what's different now? Everything's on Spotify. Everything's on YouTube. In the old days, when you really had to track down rare tracks of bands or live performances because you couldn't record them like we can now, it was like finding gold. You know, oh my God, I found an unreleased track of this band from 1975 that someone has somewhere. It was like an archaeological dig.
1: Yeah, that's so fun. And I envy that because... Now it's like, oh my God, there's this unreleased song on YouTube and that's cool, but it's not like you actually did the work to find that. And I feel like it would be so fun to just be hunting and always on the lookout for some new piece of music or information from the artist that you love.
2: Well, I have something that relates to this. Before we had Spotify and before we had a lot of what we had, there was Napster. And Napster would have downloadable songs that people would put on. So you could discover stuff that no one else heard. And I remember finding an Eddie Vedder version of You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, Beatles. And it was so incredible hearing Eddie Vedder sing that song. And I don't think a lot of people had it because I had to find it on Napster.
1: That's so sick. I got to hear that. And I will put it into YouTube.
2: Exactly. You don't have to dig anymore. But I think the two things that really stood out to me was this bond that he and his wife have found over Pearl Jam. As anybody who's married knows, spouses often have different tastes in music or art or hobbies. But when you can find something that bonds you and you're both completely obsessed about it, I just love this image of every night in the pandemic watching a different Pearl Jam show on YouTube on their big screen. So every night they're getting together and watching, like, let's watch the one from Seattle, let's watch the show from London. And clearly Pearl Jam is known for shaking up each show, so they're all different. But man, every night of the pandemic, he watched a Pearl Jam show. Thank God for YouTube for CR.
1: It was funny, the day that I listened to this interview, I had actually been talking to someone about what it must be like to be a musician and perform the same show every night, and if it ever gets repetitive. And then here comes Pearl Jam, who's like, no, we're not going to do that. And I love that so much. Like, yeah, it's got to be so stressful for everyone who works on that tour to have to figure out an hour before what songs they're going to be playing and the instruments they need to get. It just sounds like chaos. But that was the way that he made it so authentic to each city. And I just love that each show is tailored to that specific night and that specific place. So I don't think I would stay home every night in the pandemic watching Billie Eilish shows because all that's, different is like her outfit and a lot of them.
2: <laughs> exactly. Now you can understand why Pearl Jam fans need to see every show and have to follow them on multiple stops because unlike most bands, you're going to see the same show at every city.
1: Yeah. And it totally makes sense why they would watch those shows every night. I mean, it's so cool that we now have access to them digitally. And I think it speaks to the bonding power of music. CR's partner wasn't even a Pearl Jam fan before they met. And he wasn't only able to turn her into a an obsessive Pearl Jam fan, but then now they are able to obsess together. And I think that's really special. And it really brings people together to bond over music because it's not just music, especially for CR, as he explains in this story, it's a piece of him, these songs in this band.
2: And I think in CR's case, it really allowed his partner to love him and get to know him in a way that's so much deeper than what you mostly bond over. Because like you said, it's part of his soul. It's a part of who he is. So, For her not to understand that, I would imagine would be very hard to go to the next level.
1: Yeah, totally. I could never be with someone who didn't like the Beatles. I think on the first episode on Paul McCartney, this was touched on. Like Those of us who are huge fans of a band, your partner doesn't have to necessarily be on your level. But if they can't appreciate and enjoy that music, there's no future. Sorry.
2: (laughs) And then finally, his career. I mean, he uses Pearl Jam's music, the lyrics, for his own sort of mental wellness and mindfulness. So I just love how what he's doing now in many ways was shaped because of what he learned from Pearl Jam's music. I think this is a story that goes beyond a great meeting with the band or working with the band or love of a band. It is a deep connection that CR has to the lyrics and the philosophy of Eddie Vedder and this band. And I so respect his love for music and lyrics and really thinking deeply beyond just the hit songs.
1: I think I connect with this story most of probably all of ours because, like you said, it isn't about that amazing once-in-a-lifetime meetup. It's about something that we can all relate to, which is music influencing who we are and the choices we make, inspiring us to think in new ways and feel in new ways. I think that is why any music lover loves music. And I really appreciate him sharing with us all these parts of his life, some more difficult than others. And it's really inspiring and moving to think about how music can really save us through some of the worst moments in life. I think it's just a great reminder that music is really powerful and it's there for us.
2: Well said. And also for those of us who may not know Pearl Jam's music in depth, like he left us a lot of breadcrumbs to go down a deep dive of Pearl Jam songs that I didn't know and the lyrics that I never really thought about. So I think to honor CR, we should all go listen to a lot of Pearl Jam songs and read the lyrics along with them because I think you get a lot more out of it.
1: I would have to second that. I started listening to them lately because of this story and they have an amazing sound. Eddie Vedder has an amazing voice, but he is a little mumbly at times. So there's songs where I'm like, I have no clue what you're saying. And I'm like, this is already so good. I can't even imagine how much better it could be if I knew what he was singing about. But that's not always true. One of the first songs that came on when I started listening to them the other day was Just Breathe, which is a song that I already knew, but you guys should have seen me. I was a wreck. I was a sobbing mess. It's such a good song and literally was the second song that played in my dive into Pearl Jam. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, I know what he's talking about.
2: And I think the difference, when we were young, there was no internet to read lyrics. So we would have to just hear the mumbling and see, what is he saying? Now you can go read every lyric of every song. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to get to know CR a little better, go on and listen to his podcast, 240 Gigabytes of Neil Finn. The amazing thing is not only is he so passionate about Pearl Jam, he's hosting a whole podcast on Neil Finn and Crowded House. I mean, if that's not dedication, I don't know what is. But I think even if you're not a huge Crowded House fan, I think you'll really enjoy his insight and his passion for the music. And when you can go that deep on an artist, it really brings the listener a whole new appreciation. So that wraps up this episode of Sonic Impact. I want to thank C.R. Warne, who is just a great guest, and for sharing his love of Pearl Jam. Olivia, this has been another spectacular episode. I'm so glad we're back in 23 and able to do more episodes.
1: Me too. It's a very consistently rewarding and fun experience to be able to create this podcast with you and promote people's music stories. And if you have a sonic impact that you think would be good on our show, please reach out. We've got a website. We've got an Instagram. We've got my phone number.
2: Don't give out your phone number on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Next week is a very special episode, The Rolling Stones with our guest Rob Barnett. And the story is absolutely mind-blowing. All right. Well, that wraps it up. So subscribe, review, like whatever it is that you do on podcast and keep supporting our show. See you next time.
1: Bye everyone.